differences that make us targets of peer cruelty when we're younger often wind up being what make us interesting and special when we're older. It sounds cliche, but it's true. As adults, it can be difficult to always understand what's going on with younger people, not just because we're the adults and therefore inherently uncool, but because those awkward teenage years are so far in our rearview mirror, we've thankfully forgotten the roughest visceral parts of what it was like when we were still trying to figure out who we were and where we fit in. The Netflix series 13 Reasons Why does a wonderful job of reflecting how when we're young, everything that happens to us tends to feel like forever. Not just that high intensity of love and friendship or the pressures of parental expectations, schoolwork, and our unknown futures, but also that heavy, heavy weight of the everyday social struggle to survive and find acceptance. So it's important to know that it's not a character flaw to feel confused or angry, embarrassed, awkward, sad. It's par for the course. It's often part of being alive. And some of the difficulties when we're young are simply the shittier side of biological and emotional development. Please note the E for explicit content on this episode. This episode contains an intense and potentially triggering conversation regarding suicide, depression, and sexual assault. In the course of this conversation, Wendy and I share some of our own histories with depression and suicide, which might be disturbing for some listeners. So please consider skipping this episode if you are sensitive to these topics. Take care of yourself. Even if you feel otherwise in this moment, do not forget that you are important, loved, and not alone. There is support out there. The 24-7 National Suicide Hotline is 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. There will be other resources mentioned later on in this episode and at the end of the episode and in the episode notes. So stay tuned. This is The Relationship Show. Hello, hello, hello. This is so diagnostic of like, or fitting of who we are. Like you got tons of research and your facts and notes. And I'm just drawing a little happy face. <laughs> little happy face. Well, I'll put that there in case you wanted it. I like your, your drawing. My little drawing. I don't know what kind of animal that is. It's, oh. uh, well, it's kind of like a bear. But it's open. It's, it's my motto, stay open. <laughs> I want to rub its belly. Stay open, people. Um, no, I really got excited about 13 Reasons Why, the Netflix series, because there were so many different perspectives. Some people were enraged about it, and other people were empowered by it. And I found it valid, you know, all of the feedback. But... Uh, so Selena Gomez, I guess, is the producer of it. And I yeah, think her they, mom. I uh, yeah, they were going to make a movie of it. So this uh, the series is based on a book by Jay Asher, who wrote the book or, or it was published in two thousand and seven. Uh, and so here we are. It's twenty seventeen, but say oh wow, so really, I'm they must have shot it last year, but almost a decade later. So originally they were going to make it as a movie in a, with Selena Gomez as Hannah. And so that was when she became attached as a producer. And then I don't know what happened in terms of her not wanting to do it anymore. Maybe she just felt like she'd outgrown it. And Didn't she have lupus or something? Did she struggle with a... I don't know. Okay, well, I don't know. So don't... I am not a Selena Gomez Oh, but I, I should be though. Yeah, she's she's worked really hard with her acting and her singing and. Oh my God, she's yeah. very talented. I, yeah, 
most of those kids I that come out of that Disney machine. Yeah. Right, she's from the Disney machine, yep. right? Yep. Um, they're just and Nickelodeon. I mean, they're they're pros. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nick Cannon Nickelodeon. To me, he is Justin like, Timberlake. Hello. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Hannah Montana. Britney Spears. Yes. Work it, Britney. Christina Aguilera. Yes. Dreamy and mm-hmm. G- Dreamy in a bottle. <laughs> Genie in a bottle. Did you ever see that oh. video? To play that again. I have, I have that album. Oh so. God, she had such a tight stomach. Even when I was six, I never had that a tight stomach ever. Who cares? I'm not my stomach. <laughs> You're not your stomach, and we're not Christina Aguilera. Yes. But she's so badass. Her voice to me yeah. uh, doesn't matter. Yeah, but I think even without right, that flat stomach, substance like they all had really good talent and depth. I think the structure and the work ethic around those organizations is really. Why don't we have a show about the Nickelodeon? (laughs) We could, actually. I have friends who have shows on those. We could bring in the showrunners and talk to them about working with the kids. Fine. Um, We could do that. uh, So the book was uh, 10 years ago, Jay Asher. Now it's this miniseries on Netflix. It's awesome. Uh, I, I don't know that there is a sequel to the books so if there's a there is a series or a season two coming Yay! yes so. get it get it teen depression so. <laughs> get it shout out for teen depression you know i'm just so passionate about it and i really wanted to do a podcast really uh quickly because you know i, I I know that this is going to be a wave that's going to kind of go away for a little bit, but I think it's very courageous and brave for them to talk about the taboo subject of suicide and depression. A lot of people said that it glamorizes, glorified uh, suicide. Oh, yeah. What did you think? I thought it was really beautiful with some light pink water (laughs) and uh, there was a lot of clay on her arm. Right. Well, I think that... And the mother's reaction was... uh, I don't know. See, I... Interesting. (laughs) It wasn't uh, the height that I think that, you know, there's no one way to react to something. Oh, quite no. It just... She was a little uh, underwhelmed with the situation. I don't know. What do you think? I actually... I thought it was one of Kate Walsh's best performance, and it didn't surprise me i don't know the underwhelming i imagine it's shock first you know it's kind of shock disbelief and then she just kind of is going into i understand what you're saying that there that it doesn't she doesn't walk in and there's like huge hysteria right away which is kind of what you would expect sort of like the level of i don't know if you've seen it but winona Ryder, the way she is throughout stranger things yeah it was like she's so crazy but i was like yes but it's the perfect level of crazy because that's exactly what a mother should be she was you know, amazing one would imagine and girl interrupted that shit was dope winona is great oh that's that- another really good movie oh about these things as well as for our generation also heathers angelina jolie she fucking mm. rocked that cray cray she was great Sorry. Brittany Murphy. <laughs> Brittany Murphy. Oh, God. I can't believe yeah. she passed away. That's so sad. That was sad. And then her husband passed away right after. Oh, my God. I know. 
So. Uh, but back to 13 Reasons Why. So I just want to say, I'm wondering if that's a directorial thing. Um, Kate Walsh was amazing in the whole thing. She was really authentic and real. So the acting is another thing we can talk about. But um, I guess maybe for the picture, maybe for theoretical purposes, maybe it was like the focus is on the actual suicidal moment as opposed to Kate Walsh's not swooping that and upping that performance. Yeah, good point. I mean, I'm yeah. a daughter of a producer-director, so sometimes I think about that kind of stuff. Absolutely. But there's no one way. I guess my way would be like, what the fuck? Like, I'd be yeah. screaming, rocking, and... Right, which might be actually the real reaction somebody would have, but is not necessarily tonally the best thing, like you're you're saying. And... Because Tom's an editor, I think about that stuff too, and and I think you're right on that. Maybe it is a tonal choice because it's going from such this high tension thing. You don't want to. I don't know. I don't know. But regardless, uh... can I also say that there's the acting portion that people were affected by and just kind of can criti- critique like you and I are doing. But then there's the storyline, right? And the subject matter. Yeah, and one of the things that. I was ta- I was listening to Dr. Drew on his show, my, one of my mentors, and I called in, of course, whenever I have a free moment. <laughs> I think KBC is sick of me. They're like, uh-oh, it's Dr. Wendy again. Oh, I'm but they're good topics. They're really good topics. And he was talking about this, um, 13 Reasons Why. And someone had called and said, uh, you know, the parents seemed very checked out. And they also said that the main character, Hannah, didn't really look as disturbed. She didn't really uh, exhibit mental illness and all that stuff. And so I called in to say that I thought the parents were 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 common parents. I thought they were showing love and you know interest. And but you know if the kids don't exhibit any red flags like outwardly, um, you know, it's 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 hard to tell as a parent. I thought they got the parents really right and and um, realistic. And then the kids regarding Hannah, you know, not all suicidal kids look like mohawks and tattoos right. and you know teenage emos or angst. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, they're not all sleeping eight hours a day and wearing black. I think in some ways. Those kids who are more emo and going in that direction that you just described, they're finding an outlet for it. It's sort of like the Sky character who cuts, right? So, of course, we have feelings about cutting and harming your beautiful bodies. But she was talking about, you know, we find other ways to deal with the pain. And, okay, so we know she's in pain. We know also most of us uh, from our own teenage experiences and pubescent experiences, it is a period of pain. And it's pain like you've never known before. And Mm -hmm. when you have those same kinds of encounters and pains later on in life, they don't feel quite as heavy because you've had them already. And you've already gone through the early times when the weight of them felt fatal. Mm -hmm. And you haven't survived enough to know that it's not fatal. So when you're in that moment, it feels like everything and your world is so much smaller than you would know it to be even in four years in the future yeah i went through some serious uh depression anxiety suicidal thoughts um 
yeah, a lot was going on in my family and academically and socially. And, you know, um, I wrote a suicide note and was uh, all prepared to take some pills. And it was so, so in that dark place. And I also looked like the average kid, you know, on the outside, it looked like I was okay. And my parents, you know, were loving. It's nothing that they couldn't see. But uh, anyway, I tried to just push through another day uh, when you're depressed and suicidal and sad. And uh, my mom the next day found my suicide note and she called uh, the doctor and found a therapist and immediately took me there. And I was shocked that she found it because I didn't, I wasn't even really aware that I wrote it. I was just so sad and so in the vortex, you know, this dark, deep black hole. And um, anyway, so after a lot of therapy and things getting better and learning how to find the key to meaning, purpose, and passion, that's why I'm so passionate about teens. And, you know, Jenny, you and I work with a lot of crisis intervention. And so when you go so dark and so low in your life, and then you learn how to feel better in life. You know, I think that's why I just I'm so passionate about helping these teens. But also, this the series is so important because if, even if people like it or dislike it, we're talking about the scary thing nobody wants to talk about: suicide. That's a great point that you're making because this topic has not been talked about as much as of late. The reason why. I see that is because if you look at the statistics that there has been a rise in suicides in the last um, 17 years there were uh, the numbers of suicides went down starting in the 80s and it reached its all-time low in 1999 but then once you hit the turn of the century 2000 the numbers start to go back up again uh, and I think some of that has got to be because we're not talking about it. I think we're talking about a lot of other things. And look at technology, right? That interrupts a lot of communication. And although I will say that in in technology, I will have a lot of friends of my clients not breaking confidentiality, but just alerting me that they have posted something. So now teens have prepared, which is a blessing in a way, safety plans if they needed to so they know that they're low and depressed they will either give my number or take a picture of my card and give it to their friends and say if i ever talk funny or act or you know post something that is really scary to you please call my parents call my therapist call a friend and so they have these lifelines they never had before and it's it's unfortunately i get a lot of those calls and you know i'll check in with the parents and then the kids will have a family session and they're they're really grateful for that lifeline because they're reaching out, you know, and, and they just can't say they need help. So technology in some ways are good in that respect. So that is one of the number one things that you can do if you are feeling suicidal or if somebody you love is feeling suicidal or you suspect somebody is feeling suicidal is get together with someone, that person, and create a safety plan like Dr. Wendy just talked about. This could be useful. And or the suicide hotline, right? Yes. Teen. So, yes, of course. There's always the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 
8255. And then there's also the crisis text line, which is not just for suicide, any crisis you're going through. And it's not just for teens and young people, it's for anybody, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, anything on your mind. Uh, it's free, it's confidential. The crisis text line is 741741. So 741741, crisis text line. Anybody, anytime, anything you're having an issue with. I also just want to address the fact that a couple things. So some parents say, oh, okay, you know, you're not allowed to watch that movie. It's going to give you bad ideas. Then there's the other group of parents who say, let's watch it together. I watched it with my 15, almost 16 year old. So I got a lot of good feedback just at that age stage. And my clients, a lot of them are teens. And so I also assessed and talked about it. So I got so many different mixed messages, but there are people who say, if you look at it, it's gonna set the seed and give you that idea. What do you say to that? I don't know. I think that that's way too simple, right? I, I think that, okay, so I'm thinking about, like my mother once said to me about, I don't remember what freaking movie it was, but something, I think it was Nixon, the movie Nixon, how apropos. Um, that, uh, that I should watch it because it's important to know the enemy. Uh, so I think it's important to talk about these things. I am so pro communication. It drives my family crazy. Uh, as much as my family talks, they don't talk about these kinds of issues, uh, things that are really, really serious. And so just because your family talks about a lot of things or open on on the level, it appears like, well, that family's got it all together. It doesn't mean that they're having the hard conversations. And I think it's important, too, because we have to take the shame away from it, from the depression. We have to allow space for people to ask for help. And we have to face our biggest fear. I think people don't want their kids to watch it because they're afraid it's going to awaken something that's in their kid. Well, then what does that say about what you think is in your kid? Like, if you know your kid is a happy, healthy kid, I'd want them to see it and... Uh, or is their ego maybe... strong enough? Or would you want to know, right? So if yeah. it does tap something in your kid, Absolutely. you kind of want to know. But I'm going to tell you something. Often parents, like teachers or sometimes, you know, uh, friends of family, they don't want to know. So if, if it, you know, if, if it doesn't exist, it's not there. Well, because once you know, then you have to make a choice. Totally. And then you're responsible. You're accountable. If you stay in denial, and we all do this with different things, then you don't have to make a choice. You don't have to do something about it. You don't have to intervene. You don't have to uh, face your own issues. So I think it's important to watch it with your kids talk to them about it so if they will hope hopefully they will yeah so you get uh, so the feedback from teens some kids say oh gosh it's so fake it's so fake that would never happen and then you get the group of kids that say yep spot on that is exactly what we are and that's what we're saying and it could totally happen uh, you also get People who are worried about copycat suicidal people doing it in the way that they did it in that movie. And again, people say, oh, no, it couldn't happen. You know, anything can happen. 
Sure. And any way it can happen, it can. So what we know is when suicide occurs, especially with kids or teenagers, there definitely is a, a catchy component where it does trigger some maybe dormant or predisposition, you know, to anxiety or depression, something where it kind of opens Pandora's box. And it's kind of a blessing. I know for not the parents, because it can be a really scary thing, but terrifying, you know, that's where the mental health professionals come in and, you know, you rely on your sport, sport team, (laughs) your team, sports. Sorry. I was thinking about something else. Um, you know, your team, you, 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 you want to open up the secret and tell, and so many people are just scared to even say the word suicide, to talk about death and dying in our culture. I mean, that's another topic we can talk about. Sure. Um, yeah. But you're right. I think that it's like with anything, there's going to be a group of people who just cannot connect and cannot relate at all. And to them, I say, great. I'm glad. It's like when you have a client who has a family member who is depressed and they don't understand it because it is so completely different than how they are programmed and they just don't get it and they want to and they're trying really hard. All I can say to begin with is always, I'm glad. I'm glad that it is so hard for you to understand because that that's keeping you safe, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like that that's all right but it doesn't mean that that's not what that person is really experiencing or that it's not real just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it's not real and it's not serious and uh just because if some if you said oh my god i did so poorly on that test i I think i'm going to kill myself you would just be kind of talking yada yada that doesn't mean that when somebody else says it that they're not serious so we have to be really sensitive to what other people tell us their experience of things are and, and not see things solely through our lens. And I think maybe that's one of the things that I really took away from this series. For young people, I think it's an opportunity for them to really get that sense of somebody else's point of view. Even though it's all Hannah's point of view, of course we get Clay's point of view too, all the other kids around, all the all the 13 reasons, all the people on the tapes, they seem genuinely surprised kind of or, or like they that they they were caught up in their own movies where they're the stars of their own movies and so they're they are seem genuinely uh, taken aback that these interactions that they had with Hannah had impacted her in that way because their experience of them, while maybe really serious too, were different. And so it's, I just think it's a cool way for young people to also kind of learn empathy in a way and understand that even though you may have grabbed that person's ass and just thought you were being funny and that was just like not a big deal, that that person could have taken that in a way that was very serious and it's not because they're it's not even because they're mentally ill it's not even because they've got issues it's you don't know what has just happened before then we don't know what happened to hannah in in her old life too uh which also may have impacted how things went down how she felt about things right right and i think you make a good point because so teenagers, I often describe it, they're in their bubble. 
right? And it's it's a very kind of self-absorbed, kind of impulsive. Their brain is not fully formed. So when they do bullying, um, you know, it can feel to another person or look to another person subtle, right? But, but it is, it's the attachment thing. It's stimulus response, cause effect. And, and so empathy, teaching empathy with kids is so, so very important. This, this, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about what you know, or, or how you might explain to some parents the adolescent mindset, sort of the teen mindset. What's the difference between what we as adults see and how we see it and how and what teens see and, and what they pay attention to? So they could Google a teen brain and the development into adulthood and you can just really see what's lit up and what's not. So that's why I say the teens are in a bubble of their own. And so it's really hard to see like two feet past to really understand that you are impacting another person. It's almost like if you're if you if you see an autistic person and who is it the wonderful woman who is famous for Temple Grandin? Yes, and she talks about the pod. Uh huh. The the animal, the hugger, the hug machine. But it's a pod or a. Um, she talks about being in the um, oh, containment. Gosh. Yeah, but there's a. It's a. <laughs> I feel like we're in sixty-four thousand dollar pyramid. No, it's huh? a, like uh, a um, uh, eggshell. It's, it's not uh. a bubble. It's not a pod. It's a. Okay, I'll have to look it up. But anyway. What she describes Embryo. is that, no, it's the, I want to say the a pod, but it's not a pod. It's um, oh. <laughs> Chrysalis. No, but it's like that, that okay. whole idea. A pupa. A what? A pupa. No. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so it's like if you look at an autistic person and they don't really understand that, you know, they seem like they're in their world of their own, but they're not. They, they have an attunement, they have thoughts and feelings and, and ways that they can connect, but they still at times really just focus on themselves. You know, there's it's a hard thing to kind of understand that there's an other. And so I'm not calling teenagers autistic, but it is autistic-like that they are, because their brains are not fully, the prefrontal cortex is not fully formed. And so that is impulsive, that is irrational, that is heated emotion and um, very, uh, uh, yeah, we want to get the prefrontal cortex online around 25 is usually when it happens. And that's where the executive functioning and the judgment comes. So these kids are running around and that's not fully formed so they're all acting from hormonal yeah and their their lizard brains and their hormones are all over the place don't know consequences at all yeah yeah well and this is why soldiers go off to war at 18 you know uh the young dumb and full of cum right it's that they are uh they feel like they're going to live forever and they think that they're the exceptions to the rules and these are common uh, adolescent and teen ideas and self-images and it's not permanent like you said like the movie said and uh, at the end of 13 reasons why did you see the last part the trailer part that interviewed the cast yeah. and really solidified the safety issues and clarified and they stepped out of character actually that was more powerful than the episodes to me uh, that 
that really touched me in such a deep way because you got to see their true authentic self and their take on their character and reflecting on suicide and the safety of it and it's to be taken seriously. Anyway, I, I, I loved that last part. So one of the things that just came up for me when you were talking about that is the director actually spoke about the suicide scene and how they wanted to make it, they purposely wanted it to be uncomfortable. They didn't want it to be glamorized. And it was difficult for me to watch because I have a very weak stomach. Um, and so I, I couldn't. Uh, that said, I think... I think it is appropriate to take your time with something like that when you're trying to make it like look real and horrific because it's not something glamorous. It's not pretty. Um, I have my own history with depression and suicide and I had a suicide attempt when I was 15 years old and um, I overdosed and my friends found me and took me to the hospital where I had my stomach pumped and it is one of the most unpleasant memories of my entire life mm -hmm. coming to with these tubes through your nose and um, it was an impulsive uh, it, I had not written a note I, I I was I was depressed at the time but I hadn't been contemplating it but I'd been at a party and I'd been drinking and a friend of mine or quote unquote friend of mine, somebody in my friend's group was kind of bullying me <laughs> and I was very sensitive and I was drunk and I went home and I felt isolated and horrible and as if that was the end of the world. And I... You wanted the pain to stop. Yeah, you want the pain to stop. And I look back and I... I see it for what it was. I saw it for what it was the next day, and I was terribly embarrassed, um, which is not, embarrassment is not fatal. So that was a good thing, and I was very grateful. And so it, sort of like you're saying, I mean, it, it made me feel the importance of talking about what is wrong with people. Um, not what's wrong with people, with other people. Like, what's talk about what's wrong with you to other people and finding help and resources. And and also, I mean, I look back at it and it's like, yeah, I was being bullied. I was being bullied by one of my friends, somebody I thought was my friend. And then there was the aftermath of that, which is that group of friends pretty much abandoned me for a very long time. Um, because of that? A couple of them, yeah, because of that. Scared the shit out of it them. Scared and them. It, you know, depression can be depression can be catchy. And uh, and then, so the parents turned on you? Well, yeah, I mean. And the kids? The, because? Yeah. Well, they, they turned on me. They didn't want to get messy. Right. Uh, I think it made their parents uncomfortable, and I think they were uncomfortable. And I think, I think that they saw it as a maybe an attention-seeking situation. And um, so there was also something that came out of that, though, is that, A, you kind of find out who your real friends are, um, and or at least the, the friends who can handle you. And I also came to a place in my life where I was just like, fuck it, I am going to be nice to everybody. I don't give a shit about social echelons. I don't care about this 
you know, what group is the right group and who's cool and who's not cool or any of that crap anymore and just be who I wanted to be and be friends with who I wanted to be friends with. How did you get through that hard time? Well, my best friend Heather, um, my, my, my best friend Jamie and cheerleading. Uh, you were a cheerleader? I was a cheerleader. I was a varsity cheerleader. Oh, I was um, I was in our theater group and our choir, and I had friends, but I was very depressed. Um, I had a very unstable and unhappy home life, and uh, I had just broken up with a long-term boyfriend who was, you know, at that point, the love of my life, as far as I saw, and I was very close to his family. Mm. And, um, and I lost them as well because I broke up with my boyfriend or he broke up with me. So because of that, there was like this huge hole and my family, again, for all they talk, they don't know how to handle it. So, they didn't, nobody talked to me about it other than just kind of get over it. Do you know that happened to me too where where uh, my mom found the note and, you know, it got me a couple therapists for a while and worked really hard and they danced a lot like when you turn to your theater, but we didn't talk about it. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't talked about it. And I think they didn't, my parents just didn't know how and I don't think my sister or brother ever knew that that really happened. But I think if parents knew how to talk about it, they would talk about it. They would feel strong enough to hold it and to hold on to professionals who could help them, you know, uh, carry them through. Well, I think that point is a great point that you're making is if a parent doesn't know how to talk to their kid about it, there are people that they can go to to help them or find somebody else, you know, who can either facilitate that conversation or have that conversation with your kid. Because my parents were divorced. The the morning when I came to, they wouldn't release me from the hospital until I had a psych evaluation, as it should be. And I was released, but we were required to go to family therapy. And so I don't even know how long afterwards it was, but we were at a family therapist, which we only went to for one session. I was gonna sing. I was gonna say that could make you suicidal. Yeah, like, right. Wait, exactly. After that experience, then oh, you yes. want to put family in. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, but Doctor X, you have no idea what yeah. you're doing. I don't know that that's. Yeah, but it's one intervention. Yeah, um, and I get it. You know, they they have a, they have the things they have to do. But uh, my my mother, who I was not living with at the time, I was living with my father. Um, my sister and my mother uh, came. They were living together, but my mother didn't know why we were there until we were there. My father hadn't told her. Wow. Uh, Talk about secrets in the family. Yeah, and things not talked about. So, again, communication. It's Kids know when things are going on, too. You can't hide things from kids. So if there's stuff going on, too, you got to talk to your kids about it. I also think that... Often parents will say, oh, well, you know, they said a suicidal statement or, you know, so-and-so said something stupid on their social media. They're not really serious about it. So when families come to me, teens come to me, I take everything seriously. And of course, we are trained to do assessments. But 
there's no guessing. There's no, let me just, you know, play Russian roulette and we're just going to turn our heads and pretend we didn't hear it. And they're full of shit. And they, you know, it's the boy who cried wolf. And so he says it all the time, but it's all to be taken very, very seriously. And whether it's intentional, where they have, you know, it's purposefully, I'm going to do this. Or like you, Jenny, you know, accidental overdose. What percentage? I mean, you don't have to answer, but is highly accidental Uh, suicides. I I don't know, but I will tell you, I don't have all the statistics in front of me, but I will tell you that more, more men and boys, but, but males die from suicide than women and females, but females attempt more often. So for every one female suicide, there are three male suicides, but male suicides are usually more violent and immediate. Females tend to do things that are less painful and slower. So, you know, a gas exhaust running in the car or the pills or, you know, things that people can come and resuscitate you or whatever. The slitting of one's wrists, as uh, as we're faced with in 13 Reasons Why, I mean, that's that's a pretty thought out permanent. I'm not saying it never happens, you know, uh, but that that's also a pretty violent one. But but boys and men will use guns. So if you've got a suicidal person in the house and you have guns, you better think about that. It's good to keep them locked up or off site somewhere where they cannot access them and uh, hanging themselves, I guess, maybe jumping off of something. But, uh, you know, the, these are far more violent uh, means and, and women tend not to do them as much. And in this movie or the series, we think about, so as a therapist, often we think about the way in which somebody hurts themselves or attempts. And that can be really important. So if it's a hanging, often we'll go back to children's history and uh, very interestingly there'll be a birth where there's an umbilical cord uh, around the neck i remember my internship we had a lot of children when we were taught to do play therapy and there'd be these kids who would be depressed anxious suicidal and one of the things that they played out was yarn around their neck then when you did a thorough history of their uh, you know uh, prenatal uh, all the information, you know, from birth on, uh, often these kids would have their umbilical cord wrapped That's around them. So then we kind of go to a Freudian kind of thought of the unconscious, subconscious playing it out, that I have no words, that something, that a trauma happened. You know, believe it or not, but I'm thinking of Hannah and I'm thinking of, you know, cutting, I'm thinking of the bleeding, bleeding out, I'm showing you my pain. Because in her mind, she... She did give it as much time as she could. She she left clues. She tried to ask for help. So in her mind, she wasn't seen. She wasn't heard. She she didn't know how to communicate anymore. But this last violent act of suicide, the you know, really was like, you have to get it now. Right. So. Here's something, if you're feeling suicidal or some, or you've had those feelings in the past and you start to have them again and you think you have left enough clues or dropped enough hints and people aren't paying attention, 
you know, try harder. I, I hate to say that. I'm not trying to put it on you. I mean, it's on everybody. Go to the over. ER. Go to the ER. I absolutely, that was exactly what Call I was going to say. Yeah. But if you don't know what to do, you know, and you really think you're going to hurt yourself, go to the ER. Just tell them you need to just sit there and and they tell the nurse you're feeling suicidal and will it be okay if you just sit there just sit there and watch other people it'll take you out of your head it'll take you out of whatever situation you're in and there's people around and you're safe and that is i think my first line of a, attack because even though that may not be the first thing that somebody an individual would do it's not the first thing that would occur to somebody to do so if you know, I feel like it's an important thing to tell people because if you can't get through to that person on your safety list, if, you know, if it's too late to go to a movie, because I think it's also good, like, go to a movie. Just go and sit in a movie theater with people around. Get out of your house. Distraction. You know? Yeah, go to the grocery store. Distract yourself in some way. Whatever is on Don't your isolate. safety list. Yeah. Uh, go to church. Go, you know, but if you, if all else fails, go to the emergency room and just ask to sit there until you feel better. I want to let parents know, especially, that you can't possibly know yes. all the time what's going on with your child. You can't. Even the best parents are devastated when they are hit with their child's suicide. So, you know, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of blame. There is shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know, the grief and loss stages, denial, anger, bargaining. If I only checked on him one more time before bed. If someone is going to kill themselves, they're going to do it. Yeah. And the loving people around them could do the best that they can do to identify it. But if someone doesn't reach out, um, it's, it's... There's nothing you can do. No, there's nothing. And it's so sad because... That's why this these programs are important. Going in schools, I love going in schools and helping people communicate and reaching out because they can, you know, often I'll tell teens to write an anonymous note just as a start. If they ever get so deep or dark that they don't know what to do, write an anonymous note, you know. Um, can, you know, uh, please pull me out of period three and I'm wearing a purple shirt. Whatever. Just reach out. What do you think, just to go back to the movie, I mean the mm -hmm. series, so what did you think of the blame that showed up that was left? A lot of people are saying, oh gosh, the parents should have known, the counselor should have known, um, you know, uh, the principal should have known. What, what do you think about all that? Because that makes me crazy. It <laughs> makes me crazy. I, I do. I, I'm with you. I think again we're looking at it at through the series through Hannah's point of view and like you just talked about and we and we kind of built on that that was Hannah's experience and while that was really her experience the adults around her they're all going through their own things and with their own kids and because um, not just her parents we're also talking about the friends parents you know who aren't necessarily having conversations with their kids about these things. So, yeah, I, I, if, if somebody's going to do it, there's very little you can do to stop it um, unless you are there in the room. And you can't just give up your life 
in the hopes of saving somebody else's. And don't keep it a secret either. So I've had parents who sleep with their kids, either on the floor or watch them in a room. Oh, you, you mean know, sleep in, a, in the same room? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. I mean, they sleep in the room and they watch the kids as though they're on a 72-hour hold, right? A, a hospitalization. Um, but you don't need to do this alone. You know, open up, talk to a neighbor, talk to a school counselor. This It's not to be embarrassed or ashamed of. That right. you, you're not going to be able to, just because you sit in the room and watch, It's the, anybody can do it at any time. And it's scary to talk about, but we have to talk about it. Yeah, and you have to rebuild trust. And that takes time. So you have to be patient with yourself. And like you're saying, Dr. Wendy, is they can't just expect to be able to do it on their own. And don't blame yourself. And also, sure, there are going to be some assholes out there, I'm sure, who are going to be judgy or talk behind your back. It could happen and talk about how it's the parents' fault for this or how, or like, I would never miss that. But you you cannot know until you're in that situation how you would be at anything. So those the people will fall away who aren't there to support you, but look for the people who are. And understand that the majority of people are not walking around judging you or p- even pitying you. People are there to love and support you and feel your pain if you've lost your child in this way. And, and they're not psychic, so they can't read. You know, I, I, there was a lot of blame in this series on the school counselor. I thought he took a, a lot of yeah, bullshit. He did. And I, I thought he was authentic. If you know school counselors, we were in schools at one time. I thought, I thought he was thorough. He asked the right questions. I thought there was concern. I thought there was empathy. Uh, you know, he even put off his home life to really, uh, you know, balance. And ironically enough, right, he had a new baby. So talk about the cycle of life, the circle of life, uh, life cycle. Um, there were so many. Uh, foreshadowing uh, moments that well, I thought were really powerful. And thinking about not just the work that we did uh, in the high school or with the students, it also makes me think of the work that we've done with addicts, that it's 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 similar in that we if they're going to relapse, we can't stop it. As much as you want, they're the only ones who can decide, make that decision, whether they're going to stop using or use under this circumstance or not, we can't make that for them. We can do everything we can to kind of make them understand what, what'll happen and, and to help them and give them other options. And this is the same thing with suicide and with depression for young people or anybody, you know, any age is you can just be there and let them know. But again, if they have made up their mind, by, Hannah had put in all that time and work into into plotting this out. There, uh, there's either the possibility that she wanted to be found before then. Uh, oh God, she was begging for help. Yeah, she's begging for help. I think even the the taping of the yeah. tapes and the artwork on the box and how she kept you know, being traumatized and kind of kept coming back and coming back. And I think the rape scene, yeah. yeah, And I think the rape scene was really significant. I think when he, when, uh, well, with both the rape scenes, but the second one, when the football player to, to Hannah, um, in the hot tub 
Yeah, and I thought that was fascinating. I thought the way in which they did that, the metaphor of everybody turning their backs and I'm going to turn my back to you. And and uh, it was just so powerful. And I think it's a really important movie to watch or a series to watch with parents and their teens. I want to know what teens think. You know, sometimes teens will show up in therapy and I just ask them, have they seen it? And they've all seen it. And their friends have all seen it. They have gatherings at parties or get-togethers or what they call kickbacks and they show it and it's it's just so important what the youth thinks about it whether it's positive or negative so let me ask you some stuff about uh in the area of the rape and the rape and the and the sexual assault uh the subjectification of of the girls and the women and the desensitization to sex that these kids seem to show. I, I what are your thoughts on that? Uh, what, how do you, how do you see this? Is this, uh, is this an epidemic? Is this the way things have always been? What's getting better? What's getting worse? So, I have tremendous empathy for the girls, and and the boys. But, you know, the way that they portrayed the girls made me think about who their role models are, right? So we always say, like, your mother, it's important to be aware of the meta messages and messages that you saw because your mother or the first female caregiver is role modeling how to do life. And so you have, you know, the parent and what she was like or what she was not like in those messages. And then uh, then you take the stage of life, which is the adolescent teenage stage of identity versus role confusion. So, you know, vacillating between the two, but either... Do I want to be like this or do I want to be like that? Or maybe I want to try being like this. Or I don't know. Yep. And I'm scared shitless and I'm paralyzed and frozen and uh, have no idea what... what what that looks like but um you know then you add in an ingredient of technology into the mix and then you understand that this is a day and age of the kardashian that's not a blame thing it's just a fact that media influence yeah i mean a lot of girls even women our age are getting fake butts and fake boobs and chins and uh, cheek plants implants i think yeah so it's it's what is a woman we're like what is a woman and and do they have a voice and you know do we keep secrets do we do we help each other do we hurt each other i i felt so for jess was her name the alcoholic Mm -hmm. girl and she was in so much pain fucking again crying out like noticing it and it's not a blame because the friends knew and there were red flag issues but Sometimes it's hard to tell. Are you just fucking around and having fun? Or, you know, I mean, she was sexualized. She was an alcoholic. She was, uh, you know, uh, having parties. I'm, I'm wondering where the mom was. I don't know that we had a mom character. I yeah, know I the dad. I don't remember seeing her, but we did see the dad, yeah. I mean, the these kids are in pain. But again, that's why we exist, adolescent therapists who specialize in helping and identifying if these kids are on track or not. But it's a fine, fine line, right? Because it's all about identity. And and fitting in. Pressure, peer pressure. Identity and fitting in 
for boys and young men, this is also such a difficult time because there are a lot of mixed messages. And so the, who are their role models, right? Who, who are the influences on our young men today? And, and the football do, players. Yeah. I mean, the football players, who is the, so the football player who Zach. had so much wealth and he was just fucked up all the time. Bryce. And yep. And, uh, what, you know, so what was his, you know, what was his idea of what a man is in this world? And you never saw his parents. No, but you saw the effects, which is he had a lot of power, a lot of freedom. It didn't seem like a lot of parenting, but maybe. I mean, he academically was fine and excelled with the sports. But uh, internally, he was in so much pain. So a man fights, a man drinks, a man rapes. And and yet he appears to be fine. But again, there's a whole backstory to, to him, and I have empathy for the other football player who was trying to really hang out with the jerky crowd and kind of um, alpha and you, you mean know keep Zach secrets. With the yeah. tiger mom. Yeah, and you know, and and all again the wealth and the the tiger mom who is just my kid could do no perfect, totally in denial that he's a sensitive kid who was totally heartbroken. I mean, he tried to connect, and then you know he he was just doing what any teen boy would do he sees a pretty girl and then you know has a moment and i don't think he was i don't think he respected women because with the tiger mom i think he understands the power of women but he's still a little boy and felt rejected by her he was devastated and also he's the one that identified she had a fucking suicide note yeah and the teacher did nothing even when they assumed that the teacher didn't do nothing she opened up a conversation about suicide and I think, not but, but and I think, that's a wonderful opportunity to do more, to continue it on. But, you know, it's not a therapeutic school. So how, you got to be careful because if you're going to open up that conversation, be ready. Just be ready. But if there's a suicide note, then I wouldn't, I mean, you know, I'm not a teacher, but it would be hard to let each of those kids go that day. Without calling the pet team and having them all fucking assessed. Yeah, they're, a psychiatric they're evaluation team. reporters as well, correct? The yes. teachers are. So that means that if they see anything, they need to say something. And that's, again, it's, it's hard and it's an imperfect system. And we are human and imperfect people. And sometimes it's hard to really measure the immediacy and importance of of a moment like that and i love teachers and i love nurses and i love you know therapists and i love doctors but i'm going to tell you so many people don't want to get messy messy because i'm scared to make a child abuse report i'm scared to call the psychiatric evaluation team i'm scared to call 911 i'm scared to talk to the parents but mostly i'm scared to talk to that kid and ask that question are you thinking of suicide and do you have a plan because if you're not ready to hear that answer, which nobody is, who the, who is ever ready yeah. to hear yes, you know? But if they do, you just have to call, pick up the phone and call 911. And, and there is something you can do. Now, listen, I've had suicidal clients that have gone to the ER, suicidal with a plan, and they send the fucking kid home. They send him home. They didn't believe him. So you know what? I try five other hospitals until someone listens. And then sometimes my kids are suicidal and get to the hospital and then change their story because, you know, it scared them a little bit and then they go underground. So they do all the social media and okay, so they're communicating and connecting and, and then it's just, 
is it manipulation? Then the kids kind of, again, cry wolf. It's just this whole cycle of how do you know what to do and when to do it? Yeah. Cyberbullying, I think, is something that parents today probably, I would imagine, are having a harder time with than, than I think always gets gets discussed because it's it's like the most extreme form of bullying and if you didn't experience it because when when I was in high school we didn't have devices you know um so if you grew up without technology being as prevalent in in your day as it is in the days of kids now it is really difficult to easily understand how cyberbullying is an extreme form of bullying because it feels like, well, you know, they're not coming home with bruises on them. And that's what makes it more dangerous is that there's not necessarily a physical sign that you can see that somebody has been assaulting your child. It's like a silent assault. And I thought something that they said, I think, in that after episode of 13 Reasons Why is the difference, too, when we were growing up. You go home, you're in your house, okay, maybe they're going to crank call you, or maybe they're going to TP your house, but not 20... dong ditch. <laughs> yeah, not 24-7, you know, uh, you know, non-stop, which is what social media is now. They can They can come after people... At all hours of the night, you don't go home and then suddenly you're being left alone by the mean girls. They can still get to you. And there's two thoughts to that, which is so many teens, I think I could say even starting at 12 with the girls, are if they're lonely and they're not getting their needs met, if there's not a dad in the house or you know there's some dysfunction, they will jump online and they will find a, quote, daddy to find. And uh, there are so many ways to get molested via cyber sexing and, you know, it happens so often, but the kids don't talk about it. So the other thought I had is what's not being reported is frightening to me because, you know, as wonderful as technology is, even if I had technology when I was young and suicidal and depressed, I would be the scary one who would smile and I wouldn't tell you shit because I don't want you to know my plan. So I, I who's offline? You right. know, that's a scary thing to think about. The secrecy that you're talking about too. I, I mean, how, how can a parent push past that with kids? I mean, it seems to me like there's not an easy way. Yes, there is. Okay. There is. Tell me. Talk to them. Talk to them, talk to them, talk to them. Don't neglect them, don't avoid them, don't fight with them. I mean, it's hard not to fight with teens, but talk to them. Uh, So when I talk to teens who have gotten through very dark periods, suicide, depression, anxiety, bipolar, schizophrenia, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be mental illness, um, but it could be learning disabilities, just low self-esteem. What the missing factor is, is that there was isolation in the home. Parents working where they just didn't have time to sit down and have a little ice cream together and say, how are you doing? And, you know, and and just check-ins. Sort of like Clay's mom tries to make them all have breakfast together every morning. Yeah. Suddenly, yeah, which it, was great. I was like, good, good, 
Good for you. And you still can't know because if they're getting great grades and their grooming is on and everything looks fine, sometimes you just don't know. But at least you know that every single day you woke up and you reached out and you loved and you hugged and you were affectionate and and knew that you had a lifeline to your kid. Um, so often, how many times do we see in our office, people don't know how to communicate. I have so many parents who grew up with parents, no talking. It's just, you know, kids are seen, not heard. So then the generations go on. So then I have families that sit like strangers in my office and literally no eye contact. Don't, it's like you wouldn't even know they were a family because they're so disconnected. So we learn how to look at each other and we breathe because it's so anxious in the room and they learn what the favorite color is and what the favorite food is and they start to laugh a little and they start to relax a little and we start to heal that disconnect. Building upon what you're saying, I am imagining that for many people when their children become teenagers, they need an experience like the one you're describing regardless because suddenly you are faced with a new person. I mean, from puberty into being a teenager, you know, from when you were a little kid, it's a big difference. And and I think parents disconnect because first of all, maybe the kid looks older, so they look like they should be able to understand things that are still not in their capabilities because their brains haven't caught up with their bodies in terms of maturity. Uh, and obviously their emotional experiences haven't, they haven't built resiliency, all of these things. So a lot of parents, I imagine, are facing strangers in a way. It's like this new person. And then as you were talking about before, the developmental stage and this role identity, role confusion stage, the kids themselves don't really know who the fuck they are from moment to moment. So it's really important for the parents to be consistently themselves in those environments, even if the kids seem to be different day after day after day, because they're trying on different behaviors and personalities. And yeah, parents get scared. I mean, it's riding the choppy waters. Yeah, literally. And so like, I kind of are you? use the metaphor, you know, a, a tidal wave, a baby wave, a small wave. What parents don't know is, and this is maybe a little too therapy-ish, but that you do have a surfboard. Sometimes they feel like they don't have a boogie board, they don't have a surfboard. No, come to therapy or life coaching or, you know, go to a doctor, go to, uh, you know, a parenting group, read some books, get online. Everything is online now. But, but reach out. And even if you think, oh, I should know how to connect. No, you don't. Because the kids don't even know how they feel, especially teens, from moment to moment. They're hot and cold, black and white, on and off. Often we call adolescence second toddlerhood all over again. I want to smack you. I want to hug you. I want to sleep with you. I want to punch you. They don't know. And so the hormones are raging and it's really scary for parents. So then it looks like they're just arguing and fighting. And, you know, it definitely can be healed. There are ways, especially a good adolescent therapist like us, I'm just saying, we, we, can connect with kids and not saying we're perfect or that we know everything, but we try whatever we can. Sometimes it's just, they need to talk to someone outside the yeah. house, a, yeah. a rabbi, so you, a priest, yeah, a Buddhist. If you can't afford therapy, yeah, find them a big brother, a, a big trainer. Sister. Yeah, something else, a coach, um, a teacher, 
somebody else that they trust and feel understand them as well can be incredibly helpful. And you know, technology addiction is so huge right now. So it's bittersweet. On one hand, it's great because they're a live journal. So these kids are just jumping online and they really, really have no idea it's going to come bite them in the ass again, <laughs> you know, at college time. But now I think the colleges are so busy, they just don't have time to be looking because everybody's putting marijuana up and sexy pictures and, you know, penis pictures. I'm and... imagining that, and I keep saying that, but I, <laughs> so I'm imagining, I'm living in a completely, Visualize. yeah, I'm visualizing that that kind of modesty, a cyber modesty, I should I should coin that term. Cyber modesty. I'm going for cyber modesty. Technology right. etiquette. So where you might be less likely to put yourself out there, I have a feeling that this is going to become more of a thing because, and here's another thing about why you should talk to your kids. I mean, the sociopolitical climate has all of these issues that we're talking about you know, we just had um, the lead singer of, um, oh, God, Chris, oh, fuck, I'm losing his name. Soundgarden. Uh, Soundgarden. So sad. Uh, kill himself the other day yeah. um, while we were preparing for this, which is, you know, and that's an adult and a successful 52-year-old guy, right? I mean, a successful man, an icon to many, uh, whose music changed people's lives, um, so you can have a great influence and still be suffering. Uh, this is important to know and important for parents to talk to your kids about. Like, like, look, you know, here's the superstar, this person who seemed to have everything but still felt empty. You know, what could he have done differently? What's wrong with this picture? And you want to extract from them, Jenny? Like, what did you guys think of that? You know, yeah. it's okay to talk about current affairs. Yeah. Often and, and families just, don't talk to their kids and they don't know. A big thing is I don't have an interest. We don't have anything in common. So we don't have anything of interest. It's okay. Find a current affair, you know, bring it up and say, oh, you know, have you, have you heard about what's going on with this thing? Yeah. And, you know, just lightly introduce it. And then, and then they'll either know or they won't. They either want to talk about it or they don't. But don't be scared of it because I want to know what my kid thinks of that suicide. I'd like to know. Is it, is it scary? Is it like maybe he was exhausted? Maybe he heard some sad news. Maybe he overdosed on Ativan, I think, or whatever. I think whatever. He, he had, uh, he said to his wife, I think, before he went on stage that night, I think, don't quote me, but something to the effect of, I took more Ativan than I needed or something. You know, again, you know, going through the grief and loss, shoulda, woulda, coulda, nobody ever knows. So that's the suicide. So talk to your parents, or talk to your parents, talk to your kids and talk to your parents about oh, suicides. And can also- we just say about suicide in the elderly generation? Absolutely. Thank you for 40 and slipping that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and also... Never, never, you know, uh, cast that aside as though the elderly don't get suicidal. They do, and they don't talk about it, and they also OD. Often. Yes, this is this has become more of a, of a trend. The other thing is, uh, for going down the sociopolitical, I mean, when you have a commander-in-chief who, you know, objectifies women and is grabbing, you know, we've got records of them bragging about... Grab them by the pussy. Uh, grab, grabbing women by their pussy, you know, those messages are still out there. And while they have emboldened um, some of 
the worst uh, behaviors of in people in this country. Um, it can also influence people and that they, even if they're just being kids and again, role playing, kind of trying it on, trying on what it feels to be that, you know, that aggressor. Um, there's something ab about that we need to talk to them about what it means, why, you know, why this is wrong, why this is inappropriate. Even if you are the president of the United States, it doesn't matter. It's still a violation. It is still hurtful. It is still an assault uh, and harassment. And I want to say that often parents will say, oh God, I'm so torn because here are the latest looks, right? The hoochie mama shorts or, you know, the low fitting v-neck I'm not wearing a bra kind of dresses or whatever it is, whatever the current thing is. So some parents are really pressured. Like I'm going to keep up with the times and have my girl especially like look like that. And then others of them purposely have them wear a little bit more conservative thing. But that doesn't mean that if you're wearing hoochie shorts, you can't teach your girl's good self-esteem and what to do when a creepy guy looks at her. You oh. know, it's about asserting yourself and it's about giving her a, a sense of, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, there I have feelings just about there are certain things at a certain age where they welcome sexual attention that they don't need to be getting. Uh, but at the same time, our girls really need to know how to kick some ass. And so yes. there's a wonderful program for anyone. I just love this program called Impact, I-M-P-A-C-T, and it's in Los Angeles, and they teach self-defense. And for boys and girls, I have mothers and um, daughters often going to that program and it's assertive skills and it's amazing and the girls feel so powerful like they can kick some ass. Anyway, so there's a That's whole... That's a great recommendation. I love that because I think it is really important for both young men and women to feel confident and safe in their own bodies uh, and to find ways to use it, to use that empowerment uh, responsibly. So it doesn't matter if Hannah in the series was wearing hoochie shorts, which she no. wasn't, or if she was, you can't touch my body. Yeah, and, not without my permission. And and so there's a trauma response called fight or flight. And often in the movie, there's a theme of her walking away from things, you know, or uh, avoiding or, but, but, and there's no blame, but I wonder if she had some more assertive skills she did the best she could, I believe, but... Uh, it also depends on what your definition of fight is, you know, because everybody's is going to be a little bit different. Well, hers was a suicide note. Hers was... Yeah, she was fighting. fighting in other ways, right? Um, and so so how are you fighting? with? How are you using that fight or flight instinct? And, there, and how loudly are you speaking? So there's... Um, so fight or flight instinct we all kind of know about, but then there's also the two other... Uh, kind of natural default responses which are freeze or numb out and we see we see that with all these kids so hannah watching the rape of jess um you know and they talk about this in the little video afterwards too a lot of people could say like well why didn't she do something i would have just run Such in there and blame. but oh i gosh. kept thinking this guy's supposed to be the not only the captain of the football team i think he is but he's also like the quarterback he's he's a big guy We've just seen him in the hall, like, dominate his best friend, another guy. So to feel like I have felt physically intimidated by men in, in various situations. And when you're feeling like that or when you feel like somebody is, like, is in danger. You freeze. And, 
you freeze. Absolutely. It's you are the doe in the headlights. That is what Hannah is in that. So you don't she know what to do. She threw up too. I mean, just oh, yeah, the getting the the toxicity yeah. out, right? Yeah. And she and again, she was drunk in that scene, but even if she hadn't been drunk, there's still circumstances in, in which people will just freeze. You know, mm. there's when something goes down, I'm sure there were plenty of people when the twin towers were falling who were not running, they were just standing there in shock as well. And you just try to get a grip of what you're experiencing. And then numb out is the drinking uh, or the, you know. If, or the cutting. If, yeah, if, uh, yeah, exactly. Or the alpha behavior or the sexualized behavior. There was so much numbing out. Yeah, so it's another way to escape what seems to be a dangerous situation or a dangerous feeling. And how often do people, parents, will say, oh, you know, it's a little bit of weed. Ah, it's a drink or two. You know, oh, that's what they do at this age. So, you know, you, you just have to keep an eye on it because it, every family Check under your children's beds. I couldn't believe that Look scene their backpacks. where Justin looks under the bed of Jess and she's got like four bottles of booze under there. I thought, well, A little bit of a cry out. And where is her mom? Like, or dad. Like, who's dad. not looking underneath the bed? Like, who's but not then, finding these? It's not Can like, you? All the time. You can't yeah. be FBI and you can't. No, kid you can't. Either. But underneath the bed's a pretty obvious place. That's I not mean, true. I would have, I would have, I would have hid my stuff in the corner or whatever. Yeah. If you want to, if on some level you want to be caught, I am okay with FBIing the kids. I call it CIA or FBI parenting, and I'm okay with that. Especially if you have a red flag issue and you're worried about your kids, you have a right to know what's going on until they earn that trust back. But I also think you can violate and be so intrusive that it can spiral them to go underground and do other really horrible things. So it is that fine line that I think every parent continues to to work on. Some of the best parents wouldn't know that they have a lot of, you know what I mean? It's just, you could be the best parent and that still could happen. Right. I'm not trying to cast blame. I, I'm just saying something in the Raise show, awareness, people. Something in the show that <laughs> yeah. I found I, really I, I would probably say I found it a little unbelievable because uh, not, I would I would not. imagine more I don't know. I Jenny, it's, it's realistic, I'm I, telling you. I believe you. I it believe is. You. it's frightening and that's why I wanted to do this talk and I wanted to get it out there that, you know, if you don't know, if you have question marks at all, you know, go find some professional who is who who can really relate to to your kid because they will open up and they will create a secure attachment, and that's what you want. You want a lifeline. You want to develop just some communication so that if God forbid something was wrong, someone can hear it and get them help. And you know, they feel they can come to you. It's yeah. such an important thing is just because your kid isn't responding to you, like Dr. Wendy's been saying, just keep talking to them because that will connect them to you. And when they're ready to talk, they will. And I thought we saw that a lot with Clay in in this series. The mother, The parents were relentless. Once they sort of suspected something was up, they really did not let up with Clay. And yet I thought... It seemed as if they walked a fine 
line. They did it pretty gracefully. I was kind of interested in his parents. I thought it was very unrealistic that the mother would be a lawyer on the case. Yeah. Like, and that, a little bit of conflict like, of interest. He seemed too smart to not say, you know, mom, even just to yeah. say, I think it's better. But, yeah. sure, but you know, I'll suspend for... my disbelief yeah. for the greater good. Um, so I also... <laughs> Just kind of an aside, if somebody's wondering what a young sociopath looks like, I think Ryan, the gay kid who runs the magazine, who publishes her poem, uh, it's not necessarily a malicious act. It's just, it's just he does what he wants How he to do rolls. for him. Yeah, very unemotional, very kind of unempathetic. He's a gay teen. He's a gay All teen. All of that matters. Yes. When you're doing the ingredients of who we are with our character and... Um, you know, and yet the counterpoint to that, which I found beautiful, was Tony, who was the most empathetic and understanding and mature uh character out of all of them. He was dad, Uh, Dad. yeah, and he also, as as a gay Chicano, I don't know what his background was supposed to be or cholo, uh, he seemed to have, he, he understood pain and endurance and resilience, and they never talked about it. But my takeaway from that is when you are somebody who is different in so many ways all your life, because he was much browner than a lot of the people around him. Uh, his dad seemed pretty working class. He seemed to be, you know, he obviously seemed okay with his sexual orientation and in a way that he wasn't advertising it and he wasn't hiding it and he was definitely the observing ego for everyone yeah you know big dad watching over everybody and and released enough to say you'll figure it out i'm going to push you through but you'll figure it out and and i'm going to watch you i love the part where he went with clay to the mountain yeah where they went rock climbing yep and he said i'm going to be here i have you and it is like rock climbing right every step is like delicate and you could fall and you could hurt yourself and so there was a safety net component-ish kind of aspect to this. And it was such mm-hmm. a face your fears kind of thing. And what a beautiful gift for a friend or somebody to do to you. It took Clay in those moments out of his head. And so I thought, what a great scene because it's an example of how we can really influence people who are feeling like what do I talk to them about well you don't really have to talk to them about anything you can just sit with them you can watch a tv show that you think is funny you can take them to the movies you can take them on a walk you can you know get them out yeah and get them out of their isolation and their headspace and then his relationship with Brad, the guy Brad, seemed to be like the most non-toxic yeah. out of all of them who really, by yeah, the end of it, all kind of really like, yeah. Loving, went, affectionate. Yeah, like, what's going on with this guy, Clay? Checking in. Yeah. yeah. And, Very attuned. They, they were like the healthiest yeah, couple. like at the yeah, end yeah. when Tony goes to the parents and it, it's just like Brad's in the background, like kind of like, I'm good here. job. Yeah. yeah like, I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So also like the happiest, healthiest couple we see even more so than any of the parents seemed to be Tony and Brad, this gay couple. Mm. And it wasn't a big deal. And then you have the sad, what I find sad, um, Courtney struggling with her sexual orientation. All of these are also things that can weigh on young people as well as older people, but especially young people, you know, to be one of their reasons She's the coffee why. girl? The, no, oh. that was Sky. Sky. Courtney was the... Was the oh, yes. girl with the two gay dads? Yes, the who, Asian girl. Yeah, who was, was pretty much a lesbian. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, but that also, if you looked at what she did to Hannah, and if you imagine that she was a boy, she would have been just as bad as the other guys. So it's like just yep. because she was a girl and that happened doesn't make it any better. It's making it any worse. But so they all had their I struggles. That- they were all in the bubble, and the coffee uh, sky was very interesting too. Because you, you know, know that that's uh, Kira Sedgwick and Kevin Bacon's daughter. No. Oh my gosh, she was wonderful. She's really good. Oh, I God, really she liked was great. Her. She captured an adolescent moody angst. Um, she she was great. Yeah. And she scared me too. She scared me because here's tattoos and piercings and moody and but but creative and artsy, but nobody nobody really checked in with her. And so the beautiful moment at the end. When Clay goes and checks in with her, was the start of the meaning, I think, and the purpose of this movie. Check in with people. And it can be verbally, emotionally, physically. And like you said, Jenny, it could just be just being, just sitting and being, feeling the energy. And that's basically where I was after my suicide attempt and feeling abandoned by my friends and all of that was... That moment with Clay reaching out to that person was the way that I started to feel like, who is in pain? Who, you know, who can I relate to? Because if people aren't relating to me, then there must be, there must be something positive I can do with this. And I, I, you know, I just really started to be friends with who I wanted to be friends with and, and reach out and try to be friendly to anybody I could (laughs) you know I want to say also one of the things that helped me when I was depressed and at that very dark low time in my life and I think it was a wonderful intervention now looking back at it many years ago I went to a pizza restaurant with a friend and very depressed as I was and she sat next to me and she said I can't be your friend anymore and I said, what? Now, I was always depressed about everything else. So, of course, like, it almost was like I was numb, you know? I was like, okay, great, another person, whatever. But she she said, I can't be your friend because you're so depressed. And you're, you're making me depressed. And you don't... You don't feel like you can get better or want to get better or feel like you, you know, you, that's your, that's not like your story, but that's, it just, you're so dark and you're so deep. I can't, I just can't be friends with you. And at the time she said, I love you. I care about you, but I just, I, I got to do this for me. So number one, she was taking care of herself boundaries. And number two, she basically said, go fucking get help. Or I don't, you know, I can't rescue you. And that wasn't her job to rescue me. But she named it. She named it depression and she set a good boundary. So that that day, of course, I was just so heartbroken and sad. But that helped me to understand. I was in the teen bubble. And oh my God, my actions affected another person. I had no clue anybody felt my depression, acknowledged my depression, understood I was in so much pain. But the fact that like I affected her to the point where she doesn't want to be friends, that was really big and it, and it, and it woke me up. So, so it's a, it's, so it's important to teach our kids to name it for their friends. Yeah. Even if they don't know what to do about it. Going along with that, I also want to just say that I don't blame those people that I was friends with 
for that behavior. I mean, as an adult, I don't carry that around and go like, I can't believe it still. I, I totally understand, like you're saying, that that person taking care of themselves and saying, I can't deal with this. I also can't say that it's not painful, that it wasn't something that I went through and that I will remember, especially when I'm talking to other people who might be experiencing the same thing. You know, if somebody else is talking about a similar thing, I'm not, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to recall as you're talking about, you know, this story, like the pain of that moment um, that was very real. But yeah, you do have to take care of yourself and you can't save everybody. And sometimes we have to tell our friends too, this is beyond me. Or, you know, sometimes it's your boyfriend. Sometimes it's, you know, your parent. Uh, you know, we saw in, not so much, I guess, in, in this, but we've seen it in other films, you know, where you've got um, a parentalized kid who's taking care of a parent in some way um, who might be a substance abuser or suicidal or, you know, like Justin's mother in this obviously has a problem with toxic relationships and that abusive boyfriend. Uh, and you can't save, uh, you can't save your parents. You can't save other people in, in that way and to know your limitations. And one of the other thing is it doesn't have to be a toxic family. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, a dysfunctional family. It can be very affluent and everything looks shiny and beautiful on the outside. So, yeah, we could talk about this for hours and hours. Yeah. I guess we have vicarious trauma, right? For all the years that we've been doing our work in, in the world and in the community. But we do our best as any uh, mental health professional. And I'm just grateful we were able to take this opportunity and ride the wave of chiming in on this very important Netflix series. And I'm really, really looking forward to series, uh, the, the second season. Season two? Yeah. So some signs to look for, just jump in here. I, I'm, I've got like big personality changes. If they've, you know, always been a really happy kid and suddenly are emo, <laughs> uh, that could be a sign. Uh, hopelessness, statements of hopelessness, mentioning suicide repeatedly too, and take them seriously. Look at their art. Look at their uh, the things that they write about. Now you can have a very artistic, wonderfully deep, dark writer or poet or an artist. That doesn't mean they're suicidal, but at the same time, you want to look a little bit at the themes and the patterns of their art, of their stories, of their poems. Gives you something to talk about. Be curious. Yes, absolutely. Uh, recklessness. If they're dangerous, if they are out there, you know, doing, getting hurt a lot uh, and seeming not to be taking care of themselves physically mm -hmm. in that way too. Probably reckless driving, drinking and driving. Yep. Yep. It could be, uh, you know, changes with eating patterns, sleeping patterns, sleeping too much, not sleeping enough, eating too much, not eating enough, uh, isolation, withdrawal. Overly aggressive becoming really defensive and overly aggressive or secret keeping. Yeah, if you're if a, a child or a teen doesn't want to talk, then that's not acceptable because there's one thing to say I'm going to give you space, but if a kid's not talking, that's a red flag to me. Red flag. And so you don't have to talk to me, but we're going to go and find a good match for you to talk and open up so I know you're doing your work. And that doesn't mean they're suicidal, it just means we have to teach them social skills they need to be talking so that they can connect and socialize and 
set meaning, purpose, and passion in their life. And we want to, you know, as anybody, you want to make sure your kids are okay. Sure. And, and I think part of making sure your kids are okay is also accepting that at a certain point you can't meet all your kids' needs. And so you may want to be, you, you may want to, I'm sure you do. If you love your children, how could you not? I imagine that's a very, that's a very big part of it. You want to be the best parent you can possibly be. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be excellent at everything. So it's not a, it's not shameful to send your kid to talk to someone or that, or that your kid talks to somebody other than you. If your kid talks to your best friend or your, your partner's best friend, or again, a coach, a, a yeah, teacher, think about your social else. situation and think extended, you know, if you have family in Chicago or Venezuela or whatever, you know, oh, you're going to take a little trip, just open up your support system and your social circle. But if the red flags really, if your kid is shut down and really doesn't want to talk, you're not allowed to look in their things. Yeah, if they if they stop taking care of themselves, like like hygiene, if they don't care about what they're wearing, if they're not showering, if they're sleeping a lot or not sleeping at all. Uh, school truancy. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, substance abuse, changes in grades. A different friends group. Right. Yeah. So they used to have very nice kids that you knew their parents. And now it's uh, the another peer group who's making you do things. Um, a very ch- big, drastic change in moods. Now, that's tricky because teens, they can be a little sh- right. jerky moments. Um, but if there's some really clear disrespect, there's very emotional, moody darkness. Check it out. And then if the friends group... Plus now it's great because technology can see everything. And so, you know, if they're hanging with a rough crowd, pull them back, set the boundaries and get them into talking to someone. And they can choose, give them five, 10, 15 choices, audition, interview, as many therapists as you want. We all support everybody. Yeah, absolutely. So. And and most therapists, if they're not a, a good fit, they will help you find somebody who is, I mean, because it's not a personal thing. I, you, you don't meet with me once and then suddenly have, uh, you know, get to determine my whole personal self-worth, you know. You're going to build that trust. Right. Absolutely. So it's okay. I want people who come to me to find the person that's going to help them. And if it's me, great. If it's somebody else, fantastic. It's awesome. Let's just, let's get you help. Yeah. So education, education is knowledge and keeping the door open and Think of how we would not have even addressed this issue if this wonderful series didn't come up. I know it's a big ouch and it's frightening and scary. We have to talk about what's not being talked about. And there are so many issues that I'm sure we will have people on to talk to us about in more detail that, that we've touched on here. Uh, but again, I want to I wanna reiterate some of these uh these two numbers so the national suicide hotline 800-273-8255 and the crisis text line is 741741 uh so in the lgbt community they have wonderful teen lines oh yeah we could just go on and on with uh um, uh, teen aa there's lots of things online of course you know there are chat rooms there are websites please Um, contact us too because we're totally available to give you any resource you know we want to be supportive and so you can write to us at relationshipshowla at gmail.com or you can write to us directly uh dr wendy can be found at 
www.doctorwendyoconnor.com. Uh, her email is drwendyoconnor at gmail.com. Your Twitter is at askdrwendy. Uh, your Instagram is I am Dr. Wendy. Are and that's you? Dr. Yes. Do you know how many Dr. Wendy's there are? There's so many. Yeah, so we all have to get kind of creative. So if you get a blonde in New York, I ain't her. She's Wendy with the Y. I'm Jenny with an I. <laughs> uh, we gotta get a little. Do we get a, oh, your YouTube channel. They can find you on there. They can find you Facebook, Dr. Wendy O'Connor and Associates. Yeah, we just want to get the information out and as much as we can and to as many people as we can. It's important and we're not perfect and this is our take. This is our experience and. There's more resources. Go out, find them. Yeah, we're passionate about helping the kids and helping the parents and helping the school. So please feel free to contact us or any of those wonderful helplines that we've provided. And Jenny, how can they reach you? My website is jennyjvwilson.com and that's Jenny with an I. Uh, email is jenniferjvwilson at gmail.com because, you know, I'm, that's my work email and, you know, I'm serious if I'm going by Jennifer. If it's Je- if it's Jennifer, I'm in serious shit. That's my serious shit at Jennifer J V Wilson at gmail.com. Uh, Twitter is Jenny J V Wilson, Jenny with an I. Instagram is the Preppy Rebel, and I think that's it. Facebook Jenny J V Wilson, I think. Yeah. So you can find finding us. meaning, purpose, and passion, and you know, dream journal. Everybody knows I like to do a little call out and think about an activity. Dr. Wendy's Dream Journal. You know, I you know, this is a time of reflection if you're a parent, and so I would think a little bit about when you were growing up, did you have anyone that had red flags that maybe you now can look at and go, oh gosh, yeah, that person was, you know, in a hard place or or you know, if if any if you had loss growing up um, with any teenage suicide. Uh, either accidental or, you know, on purpose. Uh, you know, so in Los Angeles, at Samuel High, do you know they had more than six teenagers killed this year alone? Oh, and so uh, a lot of them, most of them were suicide, which is so sad. Uh, there is 800,000 suicides a year in the world. And for every one person that dies, 20 people attempt suicide. That's globally. And it's the second leading cause of death globally of people ages 15 to 29 so that's some serious numbers and it should be talked about and i'm glad we had the chance to talk about it absolutely and i i think from dr wendy's and my disclosures it's pretty obvious that we both feel similarly and strongly that it is worth it to make it through those moments where you feel you're not going to make it through. It is very cliche to say, but suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. This too shall pass. All of these cliches are true. I am living proof of it. Wendy's doc- Dr. Wendy is living proof of it. Absolutely. So many people, people I am sure you would never even suspect. And I wouldn't change it for the world because... Had I not known that there was hope and that a wonderful therapist had to have the hope held for me until I started to learn what that looked like and the tools to to achieve that, uh, it, it gets better. And nobody told me that. And so I make sure that I let everybody know that it does get better. Doesn't it, Jenny? It gets so much 
better. I promise you. Aww. I promise you. And don't hold it to somebody else's timeline, too. Just don't don't tie your happiness to another person or somebody else's timeline that, oh, fuck, you're not married and have kids by 30. That's it. You're a failure. If you, you know, if you don't know where you're going to college by the time you're 15, your it's life okay. is over. If you don't get into the college your parents want you to go to, your life is not over. Uh, there, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Can I just say, keep going? To, definitely. And there are parents who are hyper vigilant about 13 Reasons Why. So I will have a handful of new kids, teenagers, and parents that will come in and say, talk to Dr. Wendy. Now share your feelings. And the kids will say, I'm really fine. There's nothing. And I say, I love those kind of parents because it's okay. They just want to cross their T's and dot their I's. But really, they're very, very healthy emotionally, academically, socially. They're fine. That's not to say later on they won't have struggles. But I was one person on their journey that if anything did flare up, at least they know to call me. So so there you go. Just find them somebody. Also, being curious doesn't mean that every time, like Wendy said, these kids at this time in their age, some of this behavior is going to just be about being a teenager and the developmental stage and their hormones. They're going to be acting a lot stranger again. They're going to be weirdos that you've never met before. That Have doesn't, fun. Yeah. <laughs> Woohoo! It doesn't mean that, you know, it's all trouble. Um, so don't suspect everything they're doing is something dark and terrible. But be curious and be involved and talk at them. And even when they're not listening, they are. I mean, it's the it's the classic Stephen Sondheim from Into the Woods. You know, children will listen. They really will. Even when they act like they're not, they, they hear you. Totally. And just talk to them. And if you have had your own struggles with these things, talk to them because it's not going to augment them it will normalize it for them they'll say oh okay this is part of the journey and it's okay and it's safe to talk about it who knew my parent felt that way right it doesn't make the parent somehow less of a parent or less of an authority figure in some ways it makes you more of an authority because you are an authority of somebody who has survived stuff absolutely and lived to tell about it and lived to have those beautiful children that you now get to pass on that wisdom to so it's an opportunity to use the pain that you experience to help somebody else because of course we don't want them to feel pain but pain is inevitable you know the the buddhists say pain is inevitable suffering is a choice so what we want is we want to teach young people and people in pain how to handle that pain so that they can get through it and then experience the joy on the other side. And if you have questions, feel free to contact us at 310-712-1230. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much. We encourage you to be as authentically yourselves as you can possibly stand. And as Dr. Wendy always says, stay open. See you next time. Bye, guys. It's so close, so don't you worry about a thing. We're gonna be If you've lost one person to suicide, that's one too many. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention reported in 2016 that an American dies by suicide every 12.3 minutes. It's the second leading cause of death for those aged 44 and under, and 90% of those who die this way had a diagnosable psychological disorder at the time of their death. So here are those numbers again to reach out. The 24-7 National Suicide Hotline, 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-TALK. 
1-800-273-8255. The Crisis Suicide Text Line is 741-741. The LGBTQ Crisis Suicide 24-7 Hotline is 866-488-7386. If you're in LA, there's a teen line at 310-855-4673, or you can text TEEN to 839-863. There's plenty of in-person and online support out there for all the parents and loved ones too, so no one needs to go through this alone, and community can make it easier to role model how to be an authority on resilience for the young people in our lives. For those wondering where to begin, I'll include some links to resources and articles for caregivers in the notes section. Most young people haven't survived enough to know that they'll survive whatever they come up against. For many teens, the world seems much smaller and seeing a way out of the most painful patches can feel impossible, like a Herculean task one will never master. So we're here to tell you that it's not impossible. Wendy and I are living proof of that and you can get through stronger and better for it. Please keep reaching out. Again, the 24-7 National Suicide Hotline is 800-273-TALK. That's 